Well, happy Easter. Well, I tell you what, it's been great worshiping with you guys this morning. Um, I hope you feel the presence of the Lord in this place today. And he is no longer on the cross, is he? He is alive. I asked my son John just then, I said, John, how cheesy would this be? And he really helped me out a lot. He goes, I don't know. So I'm going to do something you might find cheesy. But if you're like me, many of you have a, a, a phone. It might be called a smartphone. So I don't know if you know how to use your smartphone or not, but I would encourage you right now to take your smartphone out and to text somebody, Jesus is alive, happy Easter. You have my permission to do that right now. But anyway, if you don't really want to, if you can't multitask, uh, you can put your phone down, do that later on. But if you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to be this morning in Matthew chapter 28. We've been in a sermon series called Words from the Cross. And we're going to finish that series up today, if you will. And we're going to be looking in Matthew's Gospel at the 28th chapter. Um, I love to tell stories because stories help you remember the biblical text and maybe even the sermon that we talk about. So I got a really neat little story about a dad who was taking his kids to church one Sunday morning. Um, as he's driving his kids to church, he says, you know, I, I just want to tell you about the Easter story. This is such a, a special day in church. So many people are going to be there today because we celebrate Jesus is alive, that he's no longer in the tomb. That's something to celebrate, right, church? So he's, he's telling his little kids about that. Jesus is alive. He's, he's no longer in the tomb. He, he rose from the dead just like he said he would. So, he, so praise God for parents and for dads that are telling their kiddos about Jesus and about the Easter story when the six-year-old in the back piped in and said, well, does that mean he's going to be in church today? Can I tell you something? Jesus is in church today. Y'all believe that? And more than anything, more than anything, he wants to be in your heart. He gave his heart for you on Calvary's cross so that you might give your heart to him. So much he wants to be in a relationship with you. It's been a great day of worship. Man, oh man, I didn't sleep hardly any last night. I don't know if I was excited or what, but like every hour I was waking up. And I knew that 5 o'clock was coming because that's what time I got up, got ready to come up to the Sherrall State Park. What a beautiful setting for a sunrise service. Man, the, I mean, we saw the little mist over the, over the water there, and I almost wanted to be like Jesus. And Miss Eunice, I almost wanted to say, let's be like Jesus and go to the other side. I wonder what the folks would have thought. He said, well, even if we got a crazy preacher, it's probably what they would have thought. But uh, it's a really beautiful setting for a sunrise service. It was cold. It's warm in here, right? But it was cold out there, but what a wonderful service it was. And then many of you came back for 9 o'clock, and we had a, a, a wonderful time of, of Bible study and fellowship in small groups and Sunday school. And now what a, what a great time of worship. And, um, and I didn't sing a lot. Um, I'm trying to recover from playing the saxophone. It's been a long time since I played that thing. Robert, I had air going out everywhere, I think. <sighs> I mean, I was just tired, Bill. My mouth is not what it used to be. Maybe. <laughs> but um, it's just been a wonderful time of worship. So we're going to continue that today with the preaching of God's Word. I hope you can tell that I'm quite excited to be standing here in this pulpit preaching to you the Word of God this morning. So we're going to finish up our series, Words from the Cross, and I've entitled this morning's message, A Word of Victory. But, but let, let me tell you this, there, there aren't any words left. Jesus has already said it all on the cross, and he's already paid it all. But this, in our text this morning, is a word of victory. So I hope you have your Bibles with you. If not, go ahead and find it, because we're going to be in Matthew 28, and then we're going to flip over to Isaiah a little bit later on. But I really want you to have your copy of God's Word open to Matthew chapter 28. So here's what the Bible says, beginning at verse 1. 
Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. <laughs> his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Would you pray with me? Father God, we praise you this morning that you indeed have risen from the dead. We thank you for that. We glorify you for that, Heavenly Father. That makes life this side of eternity just a little bit sweeter, knowing that you defeated Satan, you defeated death, you defeated sin. And Lord, if you had stayed upon that cross, um, we would have no victory. But Lord, there's victory in Jesus, because just as you said, you came out of that tomb, and we praise you this morning for that. Lord, for these next few minutes, as we pause to get into your word, I pray, Lord Jesus, that, um, that you will speak to us. Um, Lord, may I not say or do anything to take away from what you want to accomplish in the hearts of those that you brought to this place today. So help us to be attentive to the teaching of your word, to the personal touch, if you will, of the Holy Spirit that's in this place today. So Father God, would you speak, and would you do a work within us, we pray. And if you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Hey, I heard about a lady who um, woke up one morning and saw her German shepherd. And her German shepherd habit in its mouth, her neighbor's pet rabbit. That's never a good day to wake up and you see your dog going to town on your neighbor's pet rabbit. And what really made it even worse was that they really, they were neighborly, but they weren't the best of friends. They weren't the best of neighbors, but they were neighborly. You know what I'm talking about? So, um, so she did what only she could do. She thought, what am I going to do? This is, this is not good. So she got a broom and she pummeled her dog's head until the dog let this now lifeless rabbit just fall to the ground. And she's like, oh my gosh, she panicked. Y'all ever been there? Not really knowing what to do and you make something that's wrong even worse. So she takes this rabbit inside her house. The rabbit's good as dead. And she washes the rabbit. She gets all the blood off. She fluffs the rabbit's hair up with a, with a hairdryer. I mean, the rabbit's looking better than ever, Tommy. And then she sneaks over the fence, over into her neighbor's backyard, and puts the rabbit back in its cage. And about an hour or so later, can you believe somebody did that? They obviously don't go to church here. But anyway, she did this, and she, and she comes back inside, and about an hour or so later, she hears screams coming from her neighbor's yard. So she runs out saying, what's going on? <laughs> And her neighbor says, it's our rabbit. He died about a week ago. We buried him, and now he's back in the cage here. <laughs> hey, I, I guarantee you Jesus would think that was funny too. But let me tell you why I share that with you. Jesus is not like that rabbit is dead. He's alive. Therefore, we can be celebratory today. And all of our worship today, I hope you've seen, has been nothing but one of praise and celebration. This is a word of victory what Jesus has done for us. So I want just to focus upon that this morning, this word of victory that we see from the cross, and it would help if I had this song. All right, so let's look about a word of victory. Keep the Bibles open to Matthew chapter 28, and that's not it either. <laughs> help me out there, my good friends in the sound booth. So let's talk about a word of peace, if you will. It's a word of victory, and the victory in Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, is a word of peace. If your Bibles are still open, look there with me at the first couple of verses. Notice that the Bible says, after the Sabbath, 
toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was an, a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and he came and rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled. They became like dead men. So what do you think these guards did? These were Roman soldiers. What they did was they freaked out, and they did what you and I probably would do if we saw an angel. Faint, right? And that's exactly what these guards did. And then the angels invite them into the tomb. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, the tombs back in the day, if you were to go to Israel now and go to the garden tomb, the tombs back in, that you would see in Israel today that are symbolic of those tombs from back then are, are, are basically like this. You walk in the front door here, and, and over to your right, you would see where they would have laid a body and where they would have laid the body of Jesus. This is the word of peace. And I love the fact that here in the text, the Bible says that the angels was kind of set on that stone. It had to be a big stone, and this angel just kind of sat on it like, hey, I've done this before. I mean, it's almost like he's given his stamp of approval. Mission accomplished. It's finished. Jesus is the victor. He's in control. He's the master. And then the Bible says that his appearance was like lightning, that he was all dressed in white. I'm looking across this sanctuary today, and none of y'all have done what I did or how I was dressed as a kid in the late 70s. It was rough, and my mother thought it looked good. I was all in white. I had a white suit on. Who dresses their kids like that? But I guess it was kind of cool back in the day, and I was all in white. Can I tell you something? I didn't look a thing like an angel. But this angel looked like the Lord. He, his appearance was like lightning. Hey, angels reflect the glory of God. Hey, here's the thought. Don't you think people ought to be able to see Jesus in us and we reflect his glory to them? Boy, I really think so. And then these guards, as I said, they shook for fear of this angel. They became like dead men. They passed out. They, they, they just froze. And then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. And, and folks, that is a word of peace. I want you to tell your friends that Jesus is the only one who can give them peace because all of us have friends. We've got family members. There might even be somebody in here today. You will never, never, never have peace until you make peace with King Jesus. And some of you, are looking for peace. Y'all know that old country song, looking for love in all the wrong places? Some of you are looking for peace in all the wrong places. The only place you'll find true peace is through a relationship with Jesus. You've got to be right with him. Peace is not found in anything else. In fact, peace isn't even found in your money. Now, money's nice, right? We all like to have money, but money doesn't bring us lasting peace. Listen to this. About 100 years ago, a group of very... But they, they were just rich. Let's just put it that way. They met in Chicago at the Edgewater Beach Hotel, some of the most wealthy, wealthiest and most powerful people in America. You say, how wealthy? Listen to their names. Charles Schwab. Y'all heard of that name? Yeah. Um, Richard Whitney, Albert Fall, um, Leon Frazier. Listen to who, who these individuals were. Rich, rich men about 100 years ago in the life of our country. Charles Schwab, I mean, he had a lot of money, you can imagine, right? President of the largest independent steel company, died broke. Arthur Cutton, greatest of the wheat speculators, died abroad in, Sol in Sullivan. Richard Whitney, president of the New York Stock Exchange, died just after release from prison. 
Albert Fall, member of a U.S. president's cabinet, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. Jess Livermore, greatest bear on Wall Street, committed suicide. Leon Frazier, president of the Bank of International Settlements, committed suicide. Ivan Kruger, head of the world's greatest monopoly, guess what he did too, committed suicide. All these people had money, but money didn't bring them lasting peace. Your money won't bring you lasting peace. The clothes you wear won't bring you lasting peace. What's in style today won't be in style tomorrow, but give it 20 years, it'll come back. High-waisted jeans, right? There's a sweet little lady at Kellytown. She was one of our kindergarten teachers when I was um, serving there for many years. And, uh, and a former preacher's son, so not one of my kiddos, a former preacher's son, I'm very close with the family, went up to Miss Betty one day and said, Miss Betty, Miss Betty wore high-waisted pants. He said, Miss Betty, you, the older you get, the more those pants keep on coming up. They're going to go over your head one day. <laughs> High-waisted pants are back. I'm glad the bell-bottoms aren't back. At least I don't think they are. You won't find me wearing them. But clothes, don't, peace isn't found in your clothes. It's not found in the friends you keep, the places you go, the car you drive. All that could be taken away, but peace beyond all understanding comes from knowing the Prince of Peace, and his name is Jesus, yeah. But, you know, Jesus didn't always come to bring peace because sometimes Jesus brings, he brings division. You say, whoa, 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 you really think Jesus brings division? I didn't say that. Jesus did. Look, listen to what he said here. All right, well, uh, there it is. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Huh. This is Jesus' words. I have not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. He's like, that don't sound like peace to me. Hey, here's what Jesus is saying and what he's even reminding us today through his word. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, sometimes that will even bring disunity in your family. And I really haven't seen it here in the West, but people I know that live in other parts of the world Zambia, for example, Central Asia, for example, people that have made a decision to follow Jesus, sometimes their families would say, we've disowned you. We don't want to have anything else to do with you. But guess what? They still cling to Jesus. Because if you follow Jesus, it could bring division even in your family. So, so what's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about if you have a relationship with me, it can bring division even to the ones that you love the most. In fact, some people may say stuff like this to you. They may say, well, boy, you're different. You've been what? You've been born again? What in the world is that? You've been saved? What's being saved all about? What's it mean for you? And they might question, like, why are you going to church? Man, you could be in bed this morning, drinking some coffee again. You're going to church? It's cold outside. What, what do you mean you're giving to the church your tithe? And by the way, thank you for giving of your tithes and offerings. I almost forgot to put my Lanny in the offering box back there. But hey, don't forget Annie Armstrong. It's a good way to support our missionaries here in North America. But, but if people that don't know Jesus and they don't have a relationship with Jesus, they're going to say, why are you giving your hard-earned money to the church? You might have people say stuff like this. Well, why, why are you going to go on mission trips? Or, or, or why you, how come you want to go see this movie with us? Or how come you want to read this book with us? Here's why. If you follow Jesus, it can bring division. And it can even bring division in your families. Now, folks, God divides the world in this way. When he looks at the world, he doesn't see red or yellow, black and white. He doesn't see rich or poor, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, whether you're a tiger or a gamecock. When the Lord looks at the world, you're either lost or you're saved. 
in God's eyes. You're either bound for heaven or you're bound for hell. So Jesus often doesn't bring peace, but man, I'm telling you what, he brings peace through salvation. The moment you get saved, you should have this incredible peace about you. I love Trey showing me a video this week of one of our young ladies who gave her heart to Jesus at our winter retreat. And what a great testimony it was, really long. By the way, when you do your testimony, this is a, I'll get off on a tangent because this is the tangent. When you do your public testimony, write it on a three by five card. Because if you're in line at Walmart, and y'all know how long those lines at Walmart can be, it takes forever, right? So if your public testimony, if you can fit it on a three by five card, that's perfect for like being in line at Walmart. You can tell somebody about Jesus there. Hmm. What an incredible piece you have when you have Jesus and you're in a relationship with him. And she said that in her video. It's like, man, I've got peace because I'm in a relationship with Jesus. I know I'm saved. The Bible says this, and this is why you ought to be at peace. We read over in Romans 5, verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified, and remember that word justified means it's just as if you never have sinned. Since you're justified by faith, we have peace with God through, notice who it says, Jesus Christ. So you can have peace through your salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ. People that don't know Jesus don't know peace the way I know peace, the way you know peace. So when you've got peace with God, it's like you've got peace like a river. And some of y'all are saying, Rod, please don't, please don't sing that song, Peace Like a River. I'm not, but I almost want to. That's why if you've got peace, you, ought, you shouldn't be afraid of doing anything for the Lord. If God tells you to go on this mission trip, go on that mission trip. You're safe until God calls your home. <laughs> go on that mission trip. Go on that journey program. Go to that Christian college. Go to that seminary. Take a step of faith and do something for Jesus because he gives you peace through his salvation. But guess what else? He gives us peace after salvation as well. Over in John chapter 14, 27, we read these words, and, and Jesus is, is talking right before he's crucified. The night before he's crucified, he says these words. Say this with me. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus says, if, if you're following me, if you're one of my disciples, I give you peace. Don't y'all like, like, don't y'all like that word? Because we live in a rat race, don't we? Great time of day, Leland. It can get tough. We live in a rat race. And I like the fact that Jesus gives us peace. Look at this, um, this picture here. Kind of peaceful, don't you think? John, you think that's peaceful? You like being on the water? Now, folks, that's not Lake Juniper over there. It's not Santee, it's not Lake Murray, it's not Lake Robinson. Uh, that's the Sea of Galilee. Just kind of, kind of peaceful. Hmm. The Bible tells the time of when Jesus was on the boat with his disciples. They were on the Sea of Galilee and a storm arose. And, and storms on the Sea of Galilee can, can come just like that when you least expect it. And he's on this boat there and he's, he's at peace, he's sleeping. They're scared to death. But Jesus, he's at peace because he is peace. When you think of Jesus, you ought to be thinking not only of love and holiness, but you ought to think that he's a peacemaker. So he says over in John chapter 16, verse 33, these words, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation, another word for trouble, strife, if you will, 
but take heart, I have overcome the world. Can I just tell you this? In, in this life, if you want peace, you won't find it in politicians. <laughs> yeah. You won't find it in your money because you're always wondering, man, is it going to run out? Am I going to outlive my money? Is my money going to outlive me? You won't find peace in your job. I wish you would. But now in the days in which we live, you don't find companies or employees that are loyal like they used to be. Great day. My mom retired right out of high school. She went into a job. She didn't retire. But right out of high school, went straight into a job at Graniteville Company, where I'm from, big metropolis of Graniteville. You say, where is that? It's between Aiken and North Augusta. It's in the valley, little mill town. Went to work there right out of high school. Closed its doors. Some of you know the story of Graniteville, one of the biggest train derailments of chlorine gas. It literally affected the whole town. The town doesn't look a thing like what it used to because the mills have shut down. But she stayed there for 40-something years. Who does that anymore? You can't find peace. I wish you could, though, in your job. Your health won't bring you peace, but Jesus says in me you will have peace. That's why the, the resurrection of Jesus is a word of victory. But then secondly, it's also a word of, of power. This victory in Jesus is a word of power. If your Bibles are still open, look at verse 6. Oh, this, if you highlight your Bibles, mark this. He is not here. He's what? He's risen, you see, if your Bibles are still open. Now, keep your fingers here in Matthew 28, but turn with me to Isaiah. I've already given you a heads up, so hopefully you know where to turn to. Isaiah chapter 53. So if this is a sword drill, guess what? I just beat you. You remember the Bible sword drill, all right? Well, I kind of cheated because I had mine marked, and some of you are probably still trying to find it. But Isaiah 53, speaking of finding portions of God's Word, next week we're going to start a brand-new series on grace, a story of grace, and we're looking, at the God, or we're looking at Jonah there in the Old Testament. You talk about a hard book to find. It's not going to be like Isaiah. Jonah's kind of one of those hard books to find. But anyway, Isaiah 53, the resurrection of Jesus was powerfully predicted. Look at verse 7. The Bible says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And for his generation, who consider that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was with the, or yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong the life of his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Praise God for that. And he shall bear their inequities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. And then chapter 53 ends this way. He bore the sin of many and makes intercessions for the transgressors. That's what Isaiah predicted. The resurrection of Jesus was powerfully, powerfully predicted. And aren't you glad Jesus is alive? Y'all with me? Say amen. Aren't you glad Jesus is alive? And, and he died and, and he rose from the grave just like he said he would. And he rose for every single one of you. Whether you're in here this morning or you're worshiping with us online, Jesus loves you. And he went to the cross for you. And the moment you asked Jesus, you gave your heart to Jesus, 
Life comes in your life like never before. His resurrection was powerfully predicted. It was also powerfully performed. If you want to turn there, you can, but over in Romans chapter 1, Paul says, man, this is a miracle of miracles, the resurrection of Jesus. In Romans 1, we read these words, Paul, a servant. It's the Greek word doulos, and it's a word that means slave. Paul, a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says this is the miracle of all miracles. Jesus personally and powerfully coming from that tomb. And that's how Paul opens the book of Romans. His resurrection was also powerfully precise. There's a precision to Jesus coming out of that tomb and being raised from the dead. First of all, Jesus was raised bodily. It wasn't just his teachings that were raised because he was the greatest teacher, right? It wasn't the fact that he, he was a great person and a moral person. You know, that was raised as well, but that, that's not the biggest thing that was raised from the dead, but he was physically raised from the dead. Remember when Thomas said this over in John chapter 20, Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas, don't we? Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Put, uh, put your hand here, place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, Thomas, believe. And Thomas answered him, what a great testimony, my Lord. And my God, you know, we get on to Thomas, don't we? We call him Doubting Thomas, but as far as we know, he's the first one to call Jesus Lord and God after the resurrection. He was raised bodily, and it was unique. You say, well, huh, how unique was it, preacher? Well, this way, he was raised permanently. When Jesus was raised from the dead, when he raised himself from the dead, he never died again. You say, well, well yeah, that is kind of unique. You better it's unique. That's why we're here today. If he didn't raise himself, guess what? There's no reason for us being here. We say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I read Scripture too. What about that little 12-year-old daughter that Jesus raised? What about the widow's son that Jesus raised? What about even Lazarus? Well, guess what? All three of those individuals died again, but not Jesus. He was raised permanently, never to die again. Y'all with me? Isn't that wonderful? We read in Revelation chapter 1, John writes, When I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as if I was dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living when I died, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. How many of y'all know it's important to know the one with the keys? I was freaking out this morning. Rhett and I were the first ones here, and I didn't think I had the keys, and the alarm started going off. I'm glad I had the keys. I found them in my coat pocket. Jesus was also raised victoriously. He, he rose from the dead. He came out with the keys. It's important that we know the one with the keys. <laughs> hmm. It's a word of power, but not only is it a word of power, it's also a word of, of proof, if you will. It's a word of proof. Look at verse 6, if you will, again. The angel said, He is not here, for he's risen. As he said, Come and look at the place where they laid him. You know, you gotta, you got to say to some people, bless their heart, right? Because there's some people that live then, there's some people that live in, even today that try to dismiss the resurrection of Jesus. You may have heard of some of these. Some people say the women went to the wrong tomb. And I know some of you men want to make fun of that, don't you? That the women went to the wrong tomb. 
I'm not one of those men that's going to make a joke out of that. But can I just say this? The women knew what tomb to go to, just as the, disciples, the other male disciples knew what tomb to go to, and everybody knew what tomb to go to because it was Jesus' tomb. But some people say, ah, they went to the wrong tomb. Some people uh, say that the disciples experienced hallucinations. Eh, you might could take that to the bank if it was one or two, but 500? I don't think so. I just don't think that would hold water there. But 500 people saw Jesus at the same time. And then when he appeared to Paul, Paul was not a sympathetic follower of Christ to begin with. But when Paul met him on the road to Damascus, I guarantee you he wasn't hallucinating. But some say maybe that people were hallucinating. Some say that Jesus' body was, was replaced. Some say that, that, that God the Father could never, ever, ever allow God the Son to suffer the way Jesus suffered on the cross. So at the very last minute, with eyewitnesses all around the cross, some say, Steve, that his body was placed or was replaced by Judas. You say, who in the world believes that Muslims do? That's not what my Bible says, yours. No. It's the only way God could redeem mankind. Before sin was in our heart, the cross of Jesus was in God's. And then some people say, well, wait a minute, Jesus' body was stolen. And, and I'll just say this. People that followed Jesus didn't look like, you know, they looked like us. Ordinary Joes. Do y'all really think ordinary Joes could overpower a detachment of Roman soldiers? I know I look buff and all, but I just don't think I could do it. I'm an ordinary Joe, just like y'all are too. What y'all laughing about? <laughs> uh, and then some say, and this is the most outlandish of all, they say that Jesus didn't die, he just, you know, swooned. Just kind of passed out. And there again, as I sh share with the folks at, at sunrise this morning, how in the world do they think a man that was on the cross for six hours, dying for the sins of the world, who was bleeding, whose back was just mauled, who, who had a spear going inside. How do they think Jesus could just pass out and swoon and then to be placed in a tomb where the coolness of the tomb revived him, where this man who had been beaten and bloodied and left for dead was able to push the stone away and break the seal and defeat all this Roman detachment of soldiers? <sighs> Can I just say something really deep? What type of Kool-Aid are they drinking? great time of day the evidence to support the resurrection is many you got the empty tomb <laughs> and, and, and whether that particular place is the right place or not I tell you what what a wonderful feeling it is when you're in that garden and you just are standing there at the garden tomb because it could have been a place just like that and then you had the angelic announcement when the angels came uh, they came with this wonderful word, Jesus is alive. That was proof enough for the disciples. And, and then you got this Jewish plot. Boy, the Jews broke their, all their laws trying to tell people Jesus did not come out of the grave. Jewish religious leaders had come, to the, uh, come up with this idea, well, let's just bribe people to say it was a lie. And they were trying to bribe the Roman soldiers into saying, tell everybody you fell asleep. A Roman soldier wouldn't do that because if they got caught sleeping on the job, they're going to be executed. So the Jewish folks that were in charge said, well, you know what? We don't need you Roman soldiers. We'll bribe somebody else in the government to say that he was, that he just came out, that his body was stolen. And then, boy, this is a great one. The resurrected Lord himself is proof that he is alive. Y'all agree with that? I mean, he appeared to the disciples at Emmaus. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to the disciples without Thomas. Then he appeared with the disciples with Thomas present. He appeared to 500 at one time. He appeared to Paul before Paul even became Paul. 
The very fact he was resurrected proves that he is alive and he's coming back. And then, last but not least, the gospel success. I mean, the word of God went out. And just think about this. In three centuries, this powerful Roman Empire fell because of an army of Christians that wanted to change the world for Jesus Christ. Can I, can, can I meddle? I'm kind of good at it, right? You know what a change America? It's not who's in the White House or the State House. It's Christians who live the gospel like they say we believe the gospel. That'll change America like crazy if we really believe what we say we believe. That's what the first century church had. Boy, they made a difference, if you will. It was a powerful movement of God. Y'all still with me? Say amen. Y'all got to nod off. Y'all stay with me just a little bit more. So another reason there's victory in Jesus that we're looking at. Yeah, the resurrection of Jesus is a, is a word of proof, but, but last but not least, it's a word to proclaim. The ending of Matthew 28, you know it really well. Jesus came and said to them, all authority. He didn't say some authority. What's he say? All. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. How many of you believe we need to tell people about Jesus? Y'all believe that? Y'all want to pretend like you're not Baptist? How many of you believe that? Raise your hand in the church if you believe that. You need to tell people about Jesus? All right, put them down. Don't raise your hand, but let me ask you this. When's the last time you did it? Because if it really is personal, and if it really is powerful, we've got the best news of all. Jesus is alive. So we need to be telling others about Jesus. I want to close with this. Um, you probably have not heard of his name, but you've been on an elevator that bears his name. Otis Elevators. You ever heard of them? Yeah, they're everywhere, Otis Elevators. And um, they're really the standard, or the industry standard, really, for the past 150-odd years. Uh, Elisha Otis didn't discover, he didn't make the first elevator, but he's credited with something really, really important, the braking system of our modern elevators. Aren't you glad for brakes on elevators? Mm. At the time, when elevators just became out, um, the braking system was pretty faulty. <laughs> uh, it's kind of scary if you ask me. And uh, they would come apart just with people standing on the platform. Can I tell you something that's kind of cool, Trey? Um, we've been in this baptistry here just seeing how big it is. I remember baptizing one of the biggest youth when I was a youth pastor at my home church, and the kid was so much bigger than I was. And uh, even though I looked real buff and all that, he was so much bigger and buffer than I was. And, and I was in the baptistry. He was in the baptistry. And, and the pastor, the senior pastor was there. And I'm in this baptistry thinking, I know who built it. The millwrights at the Graniteville Company built the baptistry I'm standing in. I don't know if it's going to hold all three of us and all that water, but praise God it did. But the elevators back then were just platforms that could easily, you know, come apart and people would be seriously injured. So without a trustworthy braking system, elevators were, you know, keeping people earthbound, if you will. And building heights were limited to about six stories. But with elevators that work really, really good, hey, sky's the limit, right? So um, here's what Elisha Otis did. 1854, he created, he had, he had pretty much put down the, the correct braking system. He knew how to build it. He knew how to implement it. So at the World's Fair in 1854, 
This was his sales pitch. He got on the elevator, and then he gave words to his, uh, his people working with him. He's like, I want you to cut the rope. I don't think I'd have that much faith. <laughs> cut the rope. And they did. And guess what kicked in before he hit the ground? The brakes. Some of y'all are above average. Yeah, the brakes. The brakes kicked in, and, and he didn't die. And when he walked off the elevator, this is what he said. He, he, said, he said, gentlemen, all is safe. All is safe. And, and elevators just took off. He sold three elevators. They, they cost um, $300 a piece, if my notes are correct here, and I think they are. Get this. I love going to New York City. It's been a while since I've been, but I love it at Christmas time. Uh, but just in New York City alone, over 70,000 elevators. 70,000. It's estimated that the equivalent of the world's population travels on an Otis elevator, an escalator, or a moving walkway every three days. Elisha Otis put his trust in something man built. But things that man built will ultimately fail. Even an elevator built by Otis could have some type of defect, right? So every now and then when I'm in an airplane, I often remind myself I might be on a plane that's built by the lowest bidder. Kind of scary. <laughs> it things that man makes, you know, they don't, they don't last. And you can take care of your cars as best as you can. They're not going to last. Family members might run into them. Happened to me this past week. Right? Let me tell you what does last. That's Jesus. And Jesus went to the cross and he died and he was placed in a tomb like that. And three days later he came out so that you and I might have victory. Let me ask you to bow your head, every head bowed and every eye closed. Today, if um, you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that he's alive. And more than anything, he wants to be in a relationship with you. He has uh, an everlasting love for you. And if you're joining us online today, um, he, he loves you. He has an everlasting love for you. He went to the cross for you. That person that's behind you, that's in front of you, that you're, um, that's next to you, Jesus loves, loves them. It's why he came. He came, he was born so that he might die in our place. And the reason you don't have peace is because you haven't given your life to him. But if you want to have victory over sin and death, if you want to have peace in this life, there needs to be a day you give your life to him. And if you've never prayed, asking Jesus to save you, would you just give me the privilege of leading you in a prayer that if I believe, if you sincerely mean it, you've done business with God and you've been saved. If you've never prayed this prayer, pray this silently in your heart. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. I realize I'm a sinner, and today I repent for my sin. I turn from my sin as much as I can, and I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me, and that you are indeed alive. I receive you right now as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Wash me. Cleanse me. And help me to live the rest of my life for you. Still with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer, man, I believe you just did business with God. If you meant it, if you meant it, 
And if you're not sure, see me, Trey, or Robert as you leave here today because we want to make sure you're ready for heaven. I'm ready for heaven. We want to make sure you're ready for heaven as well. Father God, have no idea what you're going to do as a result of this message today. But Lord, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're so powerful. You came out of that grave, you defeated sin, you defeated death, you defeated Satan. And yet, you're so powerful, you still want to love us and want us to be in a relationship with you. So Lord, I pray that the people that are in this place today are ready to bow the knee before Jesus. And you know, if you're still here today and you've made business with God a priority, uh, one of the things that you need to make a priority is to be a part of a local church. We'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, I think God's going to do some great things here. This is a great place to worship, a great place to be disciples. God sent us people like Robert to help disciple you so that we could be better Christians and look more like Jesus tomorrow than we do today. So uh, get involved in a local church, and, uh, and this is a great one to be a part of. You might want to come down front today and say, hey, I just need to pray at this altar. And if you come to the altar, we'd love to come pray with you. you come to this altar and lift up someone that's close to you. you come to me and pray and let us pray with you. Uh, we just need to do business with God before we leave. So Heavenly Father, if um, I pray you'll move. I think you already have. But if we need to respond publicly, may we not be ashamed to do that as we stand.